0: Wow! Thank you guys so much. Hey, guess what? I was set free. I don't know if you know this or not, but the uh, the health department was kind and gracious enough to liberate me. So you can have a seat this morning. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us. I can't I can't tell you how exciting it is to hear that song. And I was I was just reflecting as I was sitting down here, watching all you guys up here, knowing knowing the testimony that that song is for what God has done in your lives, and knowing how all of us in so many ways, have have been reduced to those moments in our lives where all we have left is a song of praise to see us through the dark night of the soul. And what a gift, what a gift that we can raise a hallelujah and sing loudly. Grace, thank you for leading us this morning. What an amazing time. It is so good to see you, so good to be back and finally here. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family. uh, thankfully, five of the six of us got COVID for Christmas. It was an amazing blessing, and uh, we, uh, we, <laughs> it was not how we intended to spend our Christmas break, but thank you for your flexibility. I'm really glad to be here and not leading worship services from my living room today. That's actually wonderful, and we're very excited about that, but welcome to all of you who are here on campus, a welcome to you who are joining us online. Thank you for being with us this morning, however you are with us today. It is a joy to be back in God's with God's people gathering as we can. I have a couple announcements for you. Uh, this morning first is this if you're a guest with us if you're a visitor here with us on campus or if you're watching online and uh, you've kind of stumbled along we would love to have a record of that we'd love to connect with you and uh, you can connect with us with our communication card you'll find one if you're watching online in the comments below this video if you're here with us this morning you or if you've uh, if you're at home and you've downloaded our church Center app you can fill out a communication card there as well so if you would do that for us we would love to be able to connect with you better that way, Um, and that's the best way we know how to do that in this COVID season. Secondly, if you are a student, 6th grader through 12th grader, or a parent of a student, 6th grader through 12th grader, keep in mind that we are planning to relaunch our student services this Wednesday night, 630 to 830 here on campus, so don't miss that. Uh, January 13th, 630 to 830. Pastor Tyler and his team cannot wait to see you guys, so the plan is this Wednesday evening, 630 to eight. Sixth graders through twelfth graders. And if you are prepared to give this morning on campus, you can give in those black boxes on the way out. They're mounted to the doors, uh, the walls there. And if you are at home and planning to give, uh, you can give online through our church center app. Most of our giving comes, uh, comes to us that way anymore anyway. And again, just a special thank you to all of you who have been giving so faithfully. God's mercy and his grace has been shown through your obedience and faithfulness. Um, 2020 was a a phenomenal year financially for us. You'll hear more about that next week, uh, but that's based on your faithful giving to the Lord to partner with him and what he's doing and what a gift it is to be a part of a church that cares so deeply about that. This morning, I have the amazing privilege. I, I was not sure I was gonna be here I was not sure if they were going to release me or not, Uh, and so I uh, made some special arrangements uh, this morning, and Chad Thompson is going to come and preach for us today. Chad's an elder here. He's been part of our church for many, many years, and it is a joy to have a deep bench. The church is well served by a host of men who who can capably handle the word and teach us and instruct us, so please make him welcome this morning, Chad Thompson.
1: All right, good morning. We are going to dive back into the book of Mark, so please open your Bibles there. And just like I said last week, we were in Mark 14 last week, and we're in Mark 14 again this week. Let's read the text before us this morning. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Beginning in verse 12, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you, will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We assemble together physically and in our homes. We come to hear you. We come to elevate your status in our lives, in our families, in our towns, and in all the places where we exist. Father, you've said you'd speak to us through your word, and so we invite you and we ask you to come and do so this morning. Lord, our nation is reeling, is hurting. People are crying out on all sides. Lord, I pray that your word would emanate, that your word would bring the healing balm. Lord, I pray that we would be filled and would go out to our coworkers, our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors, our classmates and teammates, showing them who you are and what you've done in our lives. So again, Lord, we ask that you teach us your word. We ask that you speak to us. And Lord, we pray that you would apply your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as you can see from the text that we just read, it's, it's not the, it's not the, a text that you're going to find in your children's Bible. In fact, as I was studying and preparing this text, most of the commentators skipped over and went right to the good stuff, which is going to be what we call communion or the Lord's table. The, 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 the passing of the elements of, of bread and wine together. And they they would interject here and there, but they would skip over a lot of it. And so I'm really, um, I'm really thankful and glad that we have broken up the text this way, so that it causes us to pause, and to look at the situation in which the Jesus and his disciples find themselves. It says in the first verse, in verse twelve, and on the feast. I'm sorry, on the first day of unleavened bread. When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? This is a big, big time. This is Passover. This feast itself is mentioned more time in scripture than any other of the festivals of Israel. In fact, it's it's named more than 50 times in the Old Testament and 27 times specifically in the New Testament. It's the most important Jewish festival of their entire calendar year. On this day, the one that Mark describes, he calls it the first day of unleavened bread. And it was, we, I'm sorry, last week we talked about how the feast of Passover and unleavened bread were, were, were um, back to back. And so, oftentimes, they are referred to as one—either the Feast of Passover for all eight days, or the first day of unleavened bread right here, or the second day of unleavened bread—and that's what the, the nomenclature that Mark is using here. It was on the daytime when the sun is out, on the fourteenth of Nisan that the lambs would be sacrificed, and then it would—that lamb would be uh, roasted. For the Passover meal to be eaten after sundown that evening, but before midnight. And uh, under the Jewish reckoning of the day, their day doesn't begin at midnight like ours. It begins at sundown, so that transfer would happen at sundown from the 14th to the 15th. While they're actually eating the Passover meal on the 15th of Nisan, that is the first day of unleavened bread. But remember, Mark is writing to a Roman audience. And so it appears that he's attempting to normalize the schedules and uh, their days according to the way that Gentiles think. So this is the first day of unleavened bread. And the fact that it's, it's morning time or, or daytime. And then later that evening, what we would call dinner time or supper time, that's when they would, they would actually eat the meal. We talked about last week how Passover itself memorialized the first Passover that we read back in Exodus chapter 12. And it was on that night that the Israelites, the Hebrews as they were called in in Exodus chapter 12, were told that they were to, uh, to take a lamb on the 10th of Nisan. And they were to examine it. They were supposed to bring it into their home. They were supposed to get to know it because it had to be a perfect, spotless lamb, and then they would sacrifice it on the 14th. A portion of it would be burned in the sacrifice, and then the remainder would be roasted for the meal. And it was on that night that they were supposed to take some of the blood and sprinkle it on the doorpost and lintel of their homes. And that night, marking the 10th plague that would be affecting Egypt, the destroying angel would go out throughout the land and he would pass over any house that had the blood on the doorways. And if he came into the land and he saw a house that didn't have blood on the doorpost and lintel, he would pass through the house executing the firstborn son of the Egyptian families. That was the first Passover and that's what they are commemorating here the lamb would be sacrificed again on the afternoon or the daytime hours of the 14th and then eaten on the the night of the 15th. And I said the night of the 15th marked the first day of the the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you can find this reference in Leviticus chapter 23. And I'm not gonna flip there, but just just mark it down for yourself. In verses six through eight, this was a seven-day feast, whereas the Feast of Passover was a one-day festival. This was a seven-day feast where they were not allowed to have unleavened bread the entire time. Leaven is the equivalent of yeast. And in the Bible, symbolically, leaven is a reference to sin. This was to be a time where sin was eradicated, symbolically. But as you remember back from Exodus chapter 12, the reason why they're using uh, unleavened bread in their, uh, uh, their celebration of the Passover is that they didn't have the time for the bread to rise because they were getting out immediately. So, again, the two, the two festivals are sand, sandwiched together. And this marked the first day of unleavened bread. And he says, they, the, the disciples ask him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Verse 13 says, and he sent two of his disciples and said to him, go into the city and a man carrying a jar will meet you. I told you last week that Jesus used the town of Bethany as his, like, base of operations. Uh, it was in close proximity to Jerusalem. He had friends there. We read about the, the, uh, the celebration, the party that Simon the leper had in his house. We also read that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived there as well. So he had friends there, and it was, it was uh, normal for him to stay at Bethany and travel Commute to Jerusalem, go in in the morning and come out in the evening, just as we commute to work. So it is in this time that this discussion comes up. It's Passover, and the disciples are, like, Hey, Lord, we're here to serve. Where would you have us go? And he gives them specific instructions. He says, Go into the city. Then he said, Look for a man that is carrying a water pot or a water jar. This was an oddity, an abnormality because it was the women that usually drew the water and carried the water pots so it should be recognizable to them or fairly easy to to point out in the crowd a man carrying a water jar. It just, it, it didn't happen and so it would be easy. They were to follow him into the house that he goes into and then when they get there, they're supposed to use almost like a password and say, the teacher says, where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. It appears that Jesus knew this person. It appears that Jesus has set uh, the details in order at a previous time that, that isn't recorded in Scripture. And, and that's okay. We, we don't have, you know, we don't have uh, journal entries by the disciples here. This is a, a summary of, of the, the ministry of Jesus. Um, but it appears that Jesus has already laid this in advance. Okay? Okay? And there are some things that we also need to know about Passover itself, that being mostly a Gentile body and not celebrating Passover, that we just might not understand. Josephus reports in AD 66, that year the temple was completed, that 255,600 lambs were slaughtered in the temple. He estimates roughly that there were two and a half million people inside the city of Jerusalem. That is huge. The city of Jerusalem cannot accommodate that. The, the lamb itself has to be slain within the temple precincts, but it would be eaten at supper or dinner later that night, and that had to happen within the city proper, within the city limits. Now, with all of these outsiders, visitors coming, What the rabbis, uh, well, the rabbis had a problem or a situation. The city physically could not hold that many people. So what they did is on on that day, they actually expanded the city limits to allow those visitors. And so what it was common to find would be tent cities. They would be lined up around the wall of, of, of the city. And that's where families would gather to eat the Passover meal. But Jesus has already arranged this. He's got a room set up. And it says, And the disciples sent, uh, set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. We find in the other gospels that the two disciples are actually Peter and John. And they were to set everything in order. It was their responsibility to select the lamb. It was their responsibility to have it sacrificed. To have a portion of it burnt on the altar and then to have it roasted and ready for mealtime. All right. But I'm so thankful that we're pausing here to understand this because there's something different about this Passover. Yes, it's a memorial uh, to, to the first Passover and how God redeemed Israel and brought them out of a foreign land into their own land. But this one was special. This one is going to be the Passover. The Passover of Passovers. And we're going to continue our study next week into this. So let's go back and review a little bit of Jesus' ministry as we've seen through the book of Mark. Up until this time, Jesus has attempted to lay low in terms of the publicity that he was getting. He, He... I, I wouldn't stretch it as far to say that he was trying to be, remain anonymous, yet there are times that he was very purposeful in telling people not to talk about him. If you remember, back in Mark chapter 5, he raised Jairus' daughter to life again. And he told his parent, her parents not to show anyone or not to tell anybody what had happened. I'm like, wait a minute, Lord, our, I understand there are some commandments in the Bible, but I'm not allowed to tell other people that you raised my daughter from, from the dead? In Mark chapter 7, he opened the ears of a deaf man and he charged him not to tell anyone. And even in Mark chapter 8, which we consider the high point of the book of, of Mark, where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why would Jesus not want these miracles to be known? In our day of social media and of 24-hour news and all of this, this, does, this is a little unsettling. Why would Jesus not want the truth of who he is? God's gift to the world, Emmanuel, God with us. All those celebrations that we just had at Christmas, why would he not want that out? Why wouldn't he want that to be leaked or proclaimed? We would expect that this would get worldwide attention, would it not? And I think the reason is very simple. At those times, it wasn't his time. You see, his time hadn't come yet. But all of that changes tonight. All of that changes on this night, this first day of Unleavened Bread, as Mark talks to us. It states that his time had come. Okay, let's, let's play the game. Let's continue. I love using biblical examples to help me out here. And, and to show that his time had not come, his first miracle was at the wedding of Cana. And Mary, his mother, goes and asks Jesus to help the wedding party as they've run out of wine. This would be shameful on that day. And Jesus' response to her was a little abrupt, it seemed. And he said, hey, what, what do I have to do with this? My time isn't yet. Previously, The authorities, every time he's gone into into the city of Jerusalem, they've attempted to arrest him. And it says in John 7.30 and again in 8.20 that they purposely or they didn't arrest him because his hour hadn't come. And folks, we saw this last week, did we not, at the beginning of the chapter It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. We have in conflict here the will of man with the will of God. Man's timeline versus God's timeline. And this is being played out on this night. They... The authorities have purposed not to arrest him during this time, and God has another idea. His time had come. You see, this night, his hour had come, and he was the one setting it up. Look at the personal pronouns that he uses in reference to the Passover. It's my, my, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples he has set it up he is the one pushing the timeline he is the one pushing the details John records it in John twelve twenty seven. he says now is my soul troubled and what shall I say father save me from this hour no but for this hour or for this purpose have I come and again in Luke 22, he says, and, when, and it says, when the hour came, he reclined at table, this table that we're going to read about, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This was a celebrated night, but folks, this is the night. I've heard, uh, I've heard teachers call it the fulcrum of history. This is which, the point on which history stands. Let's read on. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. See, Mark doesn't record all that has happened. Do you see verses 17 and 18, how quickly they're put together in in Mark's version? John's gospel kind of stretches this out and gives us a zoomed in view. For in John's gospel, it says that Jesus has already gone and washed the disciples' feet. They weren't willing to lower themselves, yet he was going to illustrate humility to them, and then he taught on humility to them. He states that he was troubled in spirit when he makes it known that one of them will betray him. But I like the, re- the response of the disciples in verse 19. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? Really, it's an affront on them. Their their real response is, it's not me, is it? And one by one, they go around and they they ask the question, is it me? It's not me, is it? He says, one of you in this room is going to betray me tonight. I like their response. Again, we're pausing. We're setting up for the events that are going to come. And folks, this is a proper and good response from any disciple of Jesus Christ you and I have to lower our own pride enough to understand and to see the darkness of our own sin and to understand that you and I are capable of any of the sins recorded in this word. Again, using Chad's picture book illustration, do we have to go back to the sins of Moses? He was a murderer. The sins of, of David, a murderer and an adulterer. These were men after God's own heart, men that God loved. We are capable of any of these sins. And so we must start the celebration by asking, is it I? Did did, did I do this? I am capable of that betrayal. I am capable of that denial. Is it I? It's a good place to start it's a good place to start. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve. Whoa. It appears that there may have been more in the room at that time. And he's kind of zooming down. I wonder what Judas was feeling at this time. He says, he said, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. As the disciples are, are asking this question and kind of, I'm, i got to imagine, glancing over at each other. Jesus outs Judas. He outs him. He says, it's one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Again, uh, the, the, the different commentators and um, writers that I was reading said that there were probably multiple bowls in which they would share the sop some of your translations say, um, and there was debate whether or not this was the salt water uh, that they dipped the bitter herbs into, or if this is where where they're um, dipping the unleavened bread into um, kind of a chutney made with uh, apples and spices and things like that. Um, That that really doesn't matter, except for the fact that there were probably multiple uh, dishes of this around the table, and it would further show a relationship there, a close proximity to Jesus and the fact that he's sharing a bowl. From the other Gospels, we learn that it is John on the right-hand side and it's quite probable that Judas is on the left of Jesus, which which would actually signify that he is in the place of prominence, the, the, the place that would be celebrated. We know that the betrayer is Judas, because we're able to look back on history, but place yourself in that room. Notice that the disciples were asking Jesus earlier, Lord, where are we going to go and celebrate the Passover? Is it possible that Jesus kept the location quiet so that Judas and the leaders of Israel couldn't enact their time frame? That they couldn't be waiting there for Jesus and the boys when they showed up to celebrate the Passover? Because again, that would ruin God's timeline. Is it possible that he was doing this in stealth because he was trying to counter the, 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 the ongoings that Judas had set in order? I like how Jesus responds and the way that he acts here because I think we can all especially in light of where we've been as a nation in the past year and in light of social media as a whole i think we can learn quite a bit jesus doesn't make a scene when he shows that it's judas when he knows and lets it and makes it known that judas is the betrayer that's countercultural especially to us where nowadays, if I have a voice, I'm going to let you hear about it. And folks, with, with modern technology, the tongue isn't limited to just those within hearing distance, is it? This now becomes a way in which I amplify my voice. Jesus doesn't use that voice Remember, Jesus has specifically selected this man to be one of his innermost. He has kept this man with him for three years. He's given him status within the group. What was Judas's job? He was he held on to the, to the money bag. He was stealing from it, but he he, he he held on to it. Point here that I'm not going to go into. Did the disciples expect Judas to be the one? No. In fact, in John's gospel, after Satan enters um, Judas, Judas leaves, and the guys are like, oh, Jesus Jesus must have sent him on an errand. They never suspected him. The wolf was in the hen house, and they didn't have a clue. Jesus doesn't make a scene, and he doesn't openly accuse Judas in front of them. Talk about cancel culture. No, seriously, talk about cancel culture. What would Peter have done and what would have been his response had Judah, Jesus said, Judas is the one, he's going to betray me and I'm going to die because of him. I think John, on his right, would have had to have intercepted Peter from diving onto Judas with a knife. Peter was that type of dude. He, he acted and then he thought about it, right? And that's why a lot of us like Peter. He's a lot like us. Oh, I just go and do something. Oh, I probably wasn't the wisest thing. Jesus could have made a huge commotion, but he didn't. Why? Because his hour had come. This is why that baby that we celebrated a couple weeks ago was wrapped in swaddling clothes in the garage. They kept swaddling clothes in the garage in case a visitor from the town died and they had to prepare the body. That's where it was stored. That's what Jesus was wrapped in. He was given myrrh by the magi that show up. This was why he came. He was the one setting these things in order. He was the one doing it. He doesn't have words with Judas. He doesn't break Judas. He doesn't give him a piece of his mind. He doesn't counter him with another comment and another one and another one and another one. In fact, Jesus probably refers back to Psalm 41.9 that says, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This was ordained by God. Again, to betray a a friend is bad. But to betray him after you've just had a meal with that person? And then to know that in a few short hours he's gonna Mark Jesus with a kiss. Look at Jesus' response in verse 21. "For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Jesus pronounces a woe on his betrayer here. He's emphasizing Judas's personal responsibility for his own actions. Again, it was in Judas' mind back in verse 10. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, he went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Jesus has not delivered what Judas wanted. Whether it was fame, money, prestige, a title, whatever it was that he wanted Jesus to deliver in this world, Jesus wasn't delivering and so Judas says, you know what? I'm going to turn tables and I'm going to get what I can out of this guy. Jesus knows all of this. This has been the plan since before time was invented. Before it was created. Before the breath of life was in man. This was the timeline, and this was the plan. Judas's actions were his own, but committing them also fulfilled the word of God. And there's a duality there, and both can be true. There are some who want to make Judas into a hero, claiming that God's word wouldn't have been fulfilled had he not betrayed him. Jesus' words don't allow for that. Others attempt to defend his actions, claiming that God made him do it. Again, Jesus' words don't allow for that to happen. It's possible for Jesus' words to allow for God's word to be fulfilled and for Judas to bear the ramifications for his own actions. And that is where we stand today as well. Is it I? we will either open ourselves up and truly ask that question to the creator of the universe, is it I? Or we will go and fulfill God's word. And let me be clear about this. God didn't need Judas to betray him. But, God knows the end from the beginning and he recorded in advance that Messiah would be betrayed by one of His own. Again, confirming to us that He is outside of time, and that He is omniscient. Okay, so what? And I know many of you are questioning, going, "Whoa, whoa, Chad, don't we have like another half hour up here? That's the that's usual time for you to you to be up here." Um, no, no, no. The so what questions I think are, are 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 purposeful and poignant this morning. Number one, Jesus came to die. Let's not forget that. This was his mission. It was agreed upon in the Trinity before the foundation of the world, before time was created, before Adam brought death into the world. This caused him great agony. It caused him great agony. But he was glad to honor his father in these events. Hebrews 12:2 says that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the, the cross brought agony. We we know that. We we talk about it as again as his, his passion. It brought pain, it brought separation, but it also paid the price of our betrayal, of our, our betrayal. That began in the garden. You see, his sacrifice, the one that he is celebrating with the disciples, allows for the reconciliation between us and God. Knowing all of this, Jesus, again, I I read it earlier, but in Luke 22, he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This was the last Passover that he would observe until the kingdom was established and he desired to see God's will be done. Point number two. Number two, we're moving along. Jesus' death fulfilled the feast of Passover. They're celebrating the passover he is the passover lamb but not only that his sinless blood fulfilled the feast of unleavened bread it's one that we don't key in on too often again john the baptist proclaimed that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he proclaimed that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. The death of the Lamb, just as they were sitting down to meal and eating it, fulfilled the Passover Lamb. His death, the death of the, of the Lamb of God, fulfilled Passover. The book of Colossians tells us that the festivals and the Sabbaths are just a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's the equivalent of if, if when I come home from work and, and my kids run out to me as I'm walking up the, the, the sidewalk because this is how the, the, the Thompson family uh, celebrates father coming home each night. And they said, oh, father, father, and they go down and they kiss the sidewalk where my shadow is. <laughs> but folks, we sometimes elevate these shadows to being more than god himself that would be ridiculous if they kissed the sidewalk where my shadow is when i'm standing right there going children i'm here honey i'm home the substance is right here these festivals these sabbaths were the shadow of things to come he is the substance he is fulfilling them. he is the purpose for them he is the one that we celebrate And so, just as his death fulfilled the feast of Passover, again, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that his offering of his own sinless or unleavened blood fulfilled the the feast of unleavened bread. You see, Christ, as our high priest, offered his own blood when going into the temple of God in heaven. On earth, the Jewish high priest has to offer the blood of a bull or a goat or something else in place of his own sinful blood. Jesus was unleavened. He was without sin and therefore he entered under his own blood that was shed for us. And number three, Jesus showed love and compassion to one who lived with him for three years. One whom he knew would betray him. In light of the political year we've come through, that's still continuing. In, In light of the riots we've witnessed, in light of the beatings, even the deaths across the spectrum, I think we should pause and reflect upon our Savior's actions in confrontation with the one who betrayed him. Jesus did not make a scene. Jesus did not openly accuse Judas in front of the other eleven and those in the room. Jesus didn't sound off on Judas. He didn't give him a peace of his mind. Instead, Jesus lovingly and gent- gently confronted him with truth. Folks, this is difficult work. Easy to say, hard to practice. He did it in a way that the others in the room didn't know what was happening. Are we that example? Are we interacting with our brothers and sisters who we call friends and more than friends? Are we interacting with them in all areas in the same way? Is it I? It's a good question to ask. Our Lord didn't do that and we shouldn't either. Let's pray. Father, your word is remarkable. Your word is clear. And we sit back and we praise you for knowing the end from the beginning. Lord, we praise you that you were willingly willingly given yourself up as the passover lamb, the sinless lamb, the one without blemish, offered on our behalf for our sin. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for give, sending your son. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for providing a way. Lord, as 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 we, as we continue on, I pray that we would learn. I pray that we would mimic you. I pray that you would show those uh, situations to us in our own lives where we are either denying you, betraying you, or accusing a brother in a way that you wouldn't thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. In your name we pray. Amen.